Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and to be honest, the thought of talking about Trojan football this week hasn't been at the forefront of my mind since the events of Sunday morning. Of course, I'm referring to the helicopter crash in Calabasas that claimed the lives of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, Orange Coast College baseball coach John Altabelli, his wife Carrie and daughter Alyssa, Sarah Chester and her daughter Peyton, basketball coach Christina Mauser, and pilot Ara Zabayan. Some of you listening to this podcast probably don't know that I'm a lifelong Lakers fan who grew up watching the Showtime era as a kid up in Northern California. So the thought that one of the greatest basketball players ever, who just happened to play for my favorite team, who's younger than I am, is no longer with us, is still something I'm trying to wrap my head around. On the other side of the spectrum, I'm also a lifelong San Francisco 49ers fan, eagerly awaiting the Super Bowl matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's been fun to watch the 49ers team play this season, and I'm hoping to get to see them raise the Lombardi Trophy for the first time since I was a freshman at USC. Because of all of this, I wanted to have a guest on this week that I could discuss all of this with, along with some SC football, of course. So I'm glad to welcome my longtime friend and USC classmate, fantasy football analyst for NFL Fantasy Live on NFL Network, and editor and writer for NFL.com, Marcus Grant. Marcus, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, it's good to be back. I wish all of the news was a little bit happier, but it's good to be back on the show. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this Believe in USC football podcast, you can subscribe and rate the show wherever you find your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. On the website, it is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com on social media, at Believe Podcasts. Personally, you can find and follow me on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Marcus, let them know where they can catch up with you on social media. Yeah, the best place to find me is on Twitter, and at Marcus G-M-A-R-C-A-S-G. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not there very often, so Twitter's the best place. Before we even get to USC football news, I think we have to talk about Kobe. He was drafted 13th overall by the Charlotte Hornets in the 1996 NBA draft and traded on draft night to the Lakers for Vlade Divac. I remember that draft quite well because it was during the summer between our sophomore and junior years at USC. And I was back home in NorCal and decided to go up to the Warriors public draft viewing party at the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum Arena with a couple of my old high school friends. We sat up in the upper bowl of the pre-renovated arena that would eventually become known as Oracle Arena and watched as the 76ers took Allen Iverson first overall. Cal forward Sharif Abdurrahim go third to the then Vancouver Grizzlies. Milwaukee and Minnesota swapped the fourth and fifth picks, Stephon Marbury and Ray Allen. And Indiana taking at number 10 Eric Dampier, the guy many had projected going to the Warriors one pick later. 
Somewhere during this time, I had noticed sitting maybe seven rows below my friends and me, my college roommate, Marcus Grant. <laughs> I had no idea you were going to be there, and people listening have to understand that this was a different time. We didn't have cell phones and the ability to stay in constant contact with other people. Well, I remember looking down to see how you reacted after Golden State chose Todd Fuller out of NC State, and you seem to be like most of the other Warrior fans in attendance, a mixture of disappointment and resignation that this is just typical of the Warriors organization. (laughs) After the lottery picks finished up and some of the crowd thinned out, I made my way down to talk to you where I told you I thought the Warriors should have taken Santa Clara point guard Steve Nash, who went 15th to Phoenix as we were talking. The Lakers were drafting 24th, so I still had time to wait before they eventually took Derek Fisher out of Arkansas Little Rock. I don't recall what, if anything, we said about Kobe Bryant that day. How little did we know what an impact he would make, not just in the NBA, not just in basketball, and not just in America? Yeah, you know, it's funny. The thing I remember the most about that summer was the Lakers making that trade for the draft rights to Kobe, sending Vlade Divas, and I believe Eddie Jones, right? Was he in that trade also to... uh... No, Eddie played with Kobe. That's right, you are correct. They played together, so he was in a later trade a couple years later to clear the way for Kobe to start. But I just remember that trade, them sending Vlade Divac away. And I mean, look, part of it was getting Kobe because, you know, as we've heard in recent days, Jerry West talking about how he really just believed in Kobe's talent. But the also part of that deal was the idea that, you know, Shaquille O'Neal was a free agent and was potentially thinking about coming to the Lakers. What I remember the most about that was me and uh, our old friend and roommate, Rob, Rob C., kind of laughing at the Lakers like what are the Lakers doing they're trading a proven talented guy like Vlade Divac on the hope that maybe they get Shaq and this high school kid like what are they doing and it's just sort of kind of laughing that you know if they don't get Shaq this whole thing's going to fall apart and Jerry West is going to look like a fool and the Lakers are going to be bad I mean Obviously, it all worked out. Shaq came. Kobe turned into a mega superstar. The Lakers won a slew of championships. And Jerry West again proved that he was way smarter than basketball than pretty much the rest of us. But I just, I do remember thinking that, like, what are they doing with this 17-year-old high school guy that really none of us know anything about? And why do they think that he could be the centerpiece of their franchise? But, I mean, here we are all these years later and now talking about Kobe, not just in terms of, obviously, what he meant to the Lakers and what he meant to the NBA, but just what he meant culturally and globally and his impact on so many things around the world. Yeah, believe me, I remember you and Rob making fun of me, basically (laughs) saying that, oh, the Lakers, your time is over. They're not going to be a good team anymore. Because, yeah, that was a huge risk. People don't understand that they didn't have Shaquille lined up. Shaquille O'Neal was still thinking about staying in Orlando, and he was still being courted by everybody. I mean, he was the biggest free agent there was on the market. There had been a lockout. They were going to be playing in the Olympics in 96, so there wasn't a lot of ability for executives to even contact the players who were free agents, and it was a huge risk taken by Jerry West. He was basically gambling that he could convince Shaquille O'Neal to come to the Lakers, And part of doing that was that they basically cleared out almost their entire roster that offseason so that they could make cap space for Shaquille O'Neal. And part of that was trading away Vlade Divac's contract. And again, yes, it was for an unproven 17-year-old kid 
out of Lower Marion High School, a suburb of Philadelphia, a kid who had grown up in Italy for the most part because his dad, Joe Jellybean Bryant, after his NBA days were over, decided to continue his career over in Europe. So there was a lot of unknowns, and it's not like what happened in the years after Kobe, kind of what he helped spur by being successful. No one wanted to draft high school kids high. Kevin Garnett had gone the year before, and he was a big man, though. Most people were saying, like, okay, yeah, if you're going to take some high school kid, you're going to take the 6'11", 7-foot type guys. You're not going to take a 6'6 guard. Those guys coming out of high school, come on. That's a joke. And so... Everyone was kind of sleeping on Kobe Bryant. I mean, one of the stories that came out is that John Calipari, who was coaching the New Jersey Nets at the time, wanted Kobe badly. But thanks to Kobe's desire to come to L.A., Arn Tellum, his agent at the time, basically let the Nets know that you can draft him, but he won't show up for your announcement. He's not going to show up to hold up the jersey and do all the press. And so that scared the Nets off, and they ended up taking the safe pick, Kerry Kittles, out of Villanova, a guy who was a decent college player. So you have to think about all the things that Jerry West pulled off to make it happen. And of course, listen, if he doesn't convince Shaq to sign on the dotted line, and maybe all of this is a totally different story now. But, I mean, it's just those little things that when I think back, yeah, when they drafted Kobe, I had my doubts. I didn't know what a high school kid was going to do. And you just saw the evolution of his career, what he became. The guy is just one of the hardest workers ever. He had such a drive, a passion for the game that, again, what people don't seem to understand is that just about everyone in the NBA is a premium athlete. Just about everyone in the NBA, if you gave them the opportunity, and I tell people this all the time, the last guy on the bench of an NBA team, if tomorrow you said, hey, you know what? You're going to be our starter, and we're going to play you 40 minutes a game. You can take 20-plus shots a game. We're going to run the offense through you. Those guys are all scoring 25 a game, at least 20 a game. Now, that team is probably going to stink and lose, but guys are going to put up numbers, okay? Like, people don't understand. The worst player in the NBA could put up all-star type numbers. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to win. And that's the difference. Kobe was a guy who proved that he could put up the numbers and he had that burning desire to win. And so it's just, I mean, it's just like I'm still having a hard time believing. When I found out about it, I didn't believe it. I thought it was a joke. I really did on Sunday morning. I thought it was a joke, a bad joke. Yeah, I I think most of us did. It's just, you know, I was talking to a, a really good friend of mine on Sunday night. He called and we were just trying to kind of wrap our heads around it. And obviously there's so many things. One, just because it happened so suddenly. It happened to a guy that Kobe is a year younger than I am, was still very much in the prime of his life. But the other part of it is that we were trying to figure out when or if there has been an athlete who died so young, died so suddenly, but had the superstar aspect, superstar appeal, because we went through other guys, other athletes who died young, or it was, you know, Dale Earnhardt who died, obviously, at the Daytona 500, or Pat Tillman, who obviously left the NFL to join the Army and was killed in war. 
the thing that we kept coming back to with those guys, with guys like that, was that they were well-known sort of within their sport or regionally, right? I mean, you knew Pat Tillman if you were a football fan. You knew Dale Earnhardt if you were a NASCAR fan, or maybe just a sports fan in general. But none of them had the crossover appeal that Kobe Bryant had. And I think that's part of what makes it hard. In fact, when it came to it, the closest thing we could come up with, and it wasn't the death, it was Magic Johnson announcing to the world that he was HIV positive. I mean, because he was another guy who had that international status, that international appeal, who at the time he was still playing. He was still very much near the peak of his career. I mean, the Lakers were still, they were a championship caliber team at that point. And to have him make that announcement, that was maybe the biggest bombshell that I can recall in sports at that time. It's just that I think part of the reason this death has shook everyone up so much is just because we haven't seen or experienced Neither of us were around when Roberto Clemente died in a plane crash. None of us were around for things like that. There's been nothing like this in our lifetime that I can recall. Yeah, you're exactly right. I was going through that same kind of thought process, trying to think about, yeah, what kind of story would equate to this. And I think in terms of impact and shock, that's what I came up with was Magic's HIV announcement. I mean, I remember exactly where I was. I remember having basketball tryouts for high school and everyone knew I was a Laker fan and I mean I just remember that day really vividly and just Magic's my favorite player of all time like I said I grew up watching the Lakers in the Showtime era being a huge Laker fan and I still will argue with anyone to this day that the greatest basketball player of all time is Magic Johnson not Michael not LeBron not Kobe even I'll fight anyone about that, but that's a topic for a different day. But yeah, in terms of the impact, I would say that it's got to be that. In terms of death, I think the closest would maybe be like a Roberto Clemente. And again, that is way before our time and a different time. You didn't have the same kind of reach that people have now with social media, with the 24-7 news cycle. And so it's a different time, just like when you're having arguments about greatest of all time, you have to argue across eras, and that makes it difficult. But yeah, in terms of people dying, especially because with Earnhardt, that was in competition, so it was a little different. And I just couldn't think there was, I don't think there's been an NBA player, a basketball player, who has died kind of relatively young post-career. I was watching, and if you haven't watched, what the NBA on TNT crew did with their pregame show last night, and they just spent an hour remembering Kobe. They brought on Dwayne Wade, they brought on Jerry West, and then later on during halftime and postgame, they also had Candace Parker, Steve Nash, Rick Fox, Derek Fisher to join Ernie Johnson, Shaq, Kenny Smith, and Charles Barkley. And I can't remember exactly if it was Shaq or Charles. I think it was Charles saying none of these guys, I think it was Shaq actually, none of these guys that you see in the NBA, they don't die young. They're all there. All the people he looked up to, Dr. J, Bill Russell, they're still around. Even like Wilt Chamberlain who died, he wasn't that young. He wasn't that old, but he wasn't that young. Mm -hmm. It's just with the NBA, I don't think there's anything even close in terms of a death, not even close in terms of being a star. There have been those untimely deaths of a Drazen Petrovic, mm-hmm. something like that. But yeah, you had a couple years ago in baseball, Jose Fernandez. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a guy who had just recently retired, I think it's unique. And that's what kind of makes it even more sad is that he had such a long time left to go. And based on what we had seen him doing 
after his career, winning an Oscar for the animated short film, getting into publishing all kinds of books, especially geared toward kids and helping his daughters out with their endeavors and everything. You just saw that he was moving on to this other phase of his life that was going to be, in the end, maybe even more full than what he had done as a basketball player. And I think that's what really is getting to people. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing that I think has touched me the most because I always wondered what his post-basketball life would be like because as you watched him play, you saw a guy who was just so consumed with being the greatest he possibly could on the court to the point that I used to joke that I thought Kobe would end up sort of being the bitter old guy who shows up to the YMCA and just runs the game like all afternoon long. I thought that would be him because he couldn't let go of a basketball, but it turns out that, that no, that wasn't really the case. And I think what I sort of boiled it down to is that the thing that arguably was the biggest criticism of Kobe during his playing career, the fact that he sort of never met a shot he didn't like, that he was always willing to take that opportunity to try and score. I think that sort of mentality, because to be that guy, I mean, you have to have a fearlessness about you. You have to have a desire to be great. And I think we boiled it down to Mamba mentality basically now, right? But I think that is what drove him to be so varied and and to try to be great at the different things he's done after basketball. Because I think of all the things that he accomplished, you mentioned that he won an Oscar. That to me resonates the most because of who we knew who he was as an athlete, but to take that greatness off the floor and to put it into his potential career in entertainment and what have you, I think that speaks to his sort of that quote unquote Mamba mentality to be willing to take that shot and not only be to take it, but to figure out how to be great at it. And so I think to not really be able to see that part of his life fully blossom, to not really be able to see how far he could take that, that to me, I think is the, one of the things that resonates the most. And of course, not to be lost in all of this is the fact that his daughter also died in that crash and the families, of course, of the others who were there. Two of Gianna's teammates and their parents, their coach and the pilot. So we should all remember them as well. And the fact that, of course, everyone's going to remember this for Kobe because he is the biggest name and that's how things are. But a lot of other families and friends and people have been affected by that and it's just really sad and I'm just glad that we could spend a little bit of time talking about that. I think it's just helpful to get it out there, especially for someone like me who's such a big Laker fan, just being able to to talk about it is good therapy in some ways. So I appreciate you coming on to talk about him as well. And again, allowed me to share that story about that draft party up in uh, Oakland. <laughs> and again, I still think the Warriors should have taken Steve Nash. And I think you would have been happy you're with probably, that. You're probably right. <laughs> Although I'll say this, you know what? With the things that have happened in the interim in the last five or six years, it's a lot easier to look back on Todd Fuller and sort of laugh now. Steph Curry has made things a little better for us. <laughs> yeah, eventually things turned around for you and I know you're a longtime warrior fan and you had your heart broken over the years and finally you got some good although this year's been a struggle we'll let that go now we'll let it go it's fine yeah you're living <laughs> off the good few years that you've had but of course if you enjoy listening to this show please subscribe and rate us on all your favorite directories iTunes Spotify Google Play Stitcher Luminary and TuneIn the website is believe.com b-l-e-a-v.com on social media, at Believe Podcasts. On Twitter, you can find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Marcus, again, where do they get to you on Twitter? At Marcus G, M-A-R-C-A-S-G. 
So now let's get to the whole point of this USC football podcast. We are going to talk some USC football now. So the last time I had you on, Marcus, it was during the bye week, and we kind of did our own state of the USC football address, and we talked about where things were looking. They had just come off the loss at Washington, and they were getting ready to go to Notre Dame, and it was 3-2 and the record at the time. We both figured, hey, you know what? Sure, they have the talent to turn things around and run the table and save Clay Helton's job, but we know that's not going to happen. So he's going to be gone at the end of the season. And it turns out they end up 8-4, and kind of about what we were thinking. They get the Holiday Bowl berth. And even before the Holiday Bowl, new athletic director Mike Bone made the decision for a variety of reasons. We've gone over that on the podcast. I won't rehash it, but he decides to keep Clay Helton around. Promptly, SC goes to San Diego and gets blown out by Iowa in the Holiday Bowl, and the fans are revolting. In the aftermath of that bowl loss, Clancy Pendergast loses his defensive coordinator job, John Baxter loses his special teams coach job, and in the past week, it's been officially announced that former Texas defensive coordinator, he just got fired from Texas, Todd Orlando, has been hired as the new DC for USC, so... I'll open it up to you. You can talk about your feelings of how that season all ended, the decision to keep Clay, and then now getting Todd Orlando in as the new DC. I can't pretend to be excited about the way the season ended. Watching that bowl game and watching SC just be completely outclassed by Iowa in a lot of ways sort of encapsulated all the things that the fan base has been frustrated about, has been upset about watching a Clay Helton coach team. I mean, all the reports leading up to it about how he wasn't excited about using all of his practice time or wasn't really going hard in practice. And I think it just showed when they were out-muscled by a team that was way more physical than they were. So that, I think, it seemed like in a lot of ways that it just was a self-fulfilling prophecy. As for the hiring or non-hiring, I guess, of a new head coach, I think what frustrated me more than anything is that it seemed almost like a false choice that Mike Bone was making. I mean, just to sort of read the reports and try to read the tea leaves, that there was apparently some sort of power struggle between Mike Bone and new university president Carol Fultz with the prospect of Urban Meyer kind of hanging in the middle there. I don't know. It just, everything, it just seemed came down to some false choice of it's either Urban Meyer or we stay with Clay Helton, where to me, it feels like there are a myriad of options somewhere in between there. And so if that's the the fallback there, that it just doesn't really seem to ring very true or doesn't seem like a university president and athletic director who are really trying to solve this issue here. So that is another frustrating point to it. I will say that if there's any silver lining, it's that Graham Harrell looks like he's going to stick around here. There was that talk a couple of weeks ago that he was interviewing for the OC job Philadelphia Eagles, but it appears that that's not going to happen and he's going to stay at SC because I think that he did some good things with the offense. I mean, the fact that at some point he was down to the third string quarterback in that think and was able to win a game there. The fact that he got Keaton Slovis up to speed and then had him looking very good for a long stretch there. I mean, I think that speaks a lot to what he was able to do there. So at least keeping him, keeping that offensive continuity, that is at least somewhat encouraging. As for Todd Orlando, I mean, the way things ended for him at Texas doesn't really get me all that excited about it. I mean, defensively, there has been some talent there. 
especially when you talk about the front seven of that defense there, but the secondary has sort of been an issue. And I, I just wonder whether or not Todd Orlando is going to be the guy to kind of get that secondary back going again, because one, in an era of college football where the passing game is such a big deal and spreading the field and throwing the ball is such a big deal, but also especially in the Pac-12 that has had a history of being a wide open passing league, not having a secondary that is up to par is potentially fatal. So I'm curious whether or not Todd Orlando is going to be that guy. I will remain cautiously optimistic about it, but at least just based on the last thing we've seen from a Todd Orlando defense, there is reason to be concerned. Yeah, I would say that for most people besides the Pac-12, when they think of offenses in college football, they think of the Big 12. And he just came from there and he was not that successful there the last couple of years. And I mean, listen, he said all the right things coming in. He wants SC's defense to be aggressive. We're going to practice hard. We're going to hit hard. But at this point, we've heard this stuff before, right? It just seems to be talk until we actually see it in action. And like you mentioned, Clay Helton has always seemed to be a guy who doesn't press the issue in practices. It's more about keeping guys healthy. They don't want to hit as much as I think probably most people think they should. So it'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be tough for him to do anything to necessarily turn it around in one year. Although the one thing that is in his favor is it does seem that his first year at any new job, there seems to be a turnaround or a bounce up in the defensive rankings. It's after the first year that things kind of either level off or go down. So maybe we'll get a nice bounce. And like you said, we've got plenty of talent. We'll see what happens there. But the schedule was released and it's not going to do USC any favors. It's one of the toughest schedules that you can find in college football. I'll run through it quickly again. Of course, everyone knows we start off the season in Arlington, Texas against the Alabama Crimson Tide, a rematch of a game I was at in 2016. And needless to say, I will not be back for this one in 2020 based on what I saw last time. There's no need for me to go back and be pitied by Alabama fans leaving the stadium again like I was last time. And the home opener is against New Mexico the next week. And then it goes right into the conference play, the early season game against Stanford, Arizona State, then a Friday night game at Utah, followed by Cal at Arizona, the bye week, and then finishing off with Colorado, Oregon, Washington, UCLA, Notre Dame. I mean, where are you going to find the wins that are going to keep Clay Helton around for another year? Well, are we going to actually be that good? So my, and maybe this is my, my cardinal and gold colored glasses, right? When I saw the schedule come out, I scrolled through it. My immediate reaction was, I can see eight and four in that schedule. And look, eight and four was good enough to keep him around last season. So maybe... I don't know. That's enough. I don't know. I also know, you know, John Wilner, who writes for the Mercury News, who covers the Pac-12, he ranked these schedules within the conference from easiest to hardest. And he had USC as the hardest by far. In fact, you know, I'll just read what he wrote about it. it. says, it starts with the Tide and ends with the Irish and includes five conference road games. Even the misses are all wrong, noting the fact that the two teams we miss in conference are Washington State and Oregon State. This is next level difficult for a head coach who will be under intense scrutiny every hour. We applaud USC's decision to take the Alabama game. Then again, we also applaud Ironman competitors, ultra marathoners, and anyone who attempts to swim the English Channel. So that's not very reassuring, I think, about what our prospects could be this year. Yeah, I don't think it's even close that it's the toughest schedule in the Pac-12, and it's maybe the toughest schedule around the country. And that four-game closing stretch at Eugene, the Huskies 
at UCLA and the Fighting Irish. I mean, that's brutal. And even if they're having, let's say, a good season leading up to that, listen, I think everyone's counting Alabama as an L. And at this point, I'm going to say that that Friday night in Utah is going to be a loss. So that's, to me, basically two losses for sure in the first half of the season. So if they can somehow get through that part, and those are the only two losses, six and two, and again, that's no guarantee. But if they're somehow six and two getting into that final stretch, they'll be in a position to maybe challenge for a Pac-12 South title at the very least. And I just don't know that they're going to get it done with those four teams down the stretch. And I don't think eight and four is good enough to keep his job after this coming season. I think it's basically you got a one year reprieve. And to me, I think he's got to win the Pac-12 to keep his job. And even then, I think most people would probably be upset if, say, we win the Pac-12, but we lose to Alabama, Utah and Notre Dame right? We only have the one conference loss, but we're not going to go to the playoff. We'll go to the New Year's Six Bowl game, but winning the conference and then not even being in the playoff, I don't know if that's enough. So it's going to be really interesting to see what's going to happen because you know the fan base has jumped off the ship. They're just done until a new coach comes in for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the thing that when the announcement was made that Clay Helton was being retained, you immediately saw people responding by saying that they weren't going to renew their season tickets, that they were out on the program for the time being. So there's definite frustration here. It's funny, too, to go back and last season, to every week that I watched Utah play, it just ran through my head that somehow USC beat that team. I know they got rolled in the Pac-12 championship game, but just watching them go and win games week in and week out, it just was mind-boggling to me how they lost to USC during the season. And you're right, I don't expect that to be a win this year. If I had to just pick right now, I would say that the loss is definitely Alabama, Notre Dame. I think I had Utah. And I could see somewhere oh, in Oregon, that would give us two conference losses, which more than likely hinders any real shot at a conference championship. And no one's going to get excited about winning the Pac-12 South, which is not a great division in what is not really a great conference. So maybe this is the last we've seen of Clay Helton as the head coach this season. But you know, I also feel like we've said that each of the last two years, and here we are. Yeah, and we'll see. And listen, I've said many times, the players like Clay, and it's not that they're not playing for him, and we have talent. So we'll see what happens, but we may be having this discussion again sometime during next season about Clay Helton and his prospects to keep his job after the 2020 season. Now let's have a word from my bookie. If you enjoy football and have a heartbeat, then you know what's coming. The Super Bowl. Want to make a bet on it? Head over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. Whether you're choosing the winner or making a side bet with a friend, MyBookie offers you the most up-to-date odds and a site that makes extra cash easy and fast. You can even visit mybookie.ag party to access a printable prop sheet for the big game. Football not your jam? No worries, MyBookie's got it all, from the NBA to the Premier League. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV to get your extra cash from MyBookie. Play, win, get paid. 
before I let you go, I think we have to talk about the San Francisco 49ers as well. I mentioned at the top of the show that I'm a 49ers fan. You are also a 49ers fan. It's been a rough period for us for a while. They had the Super Bowl appearance against the Baltimore Ravens with Colin Kaepernick a few years back. But since then, it hasn't been great. And before that, we have to go all the way back to our freshman year at USC when Steve Young led the 49ers to the big Super Bowl victory against the Chargers. And I'm really hoping for a big game from the 49ers, but it's a tough matchup. The Kansas City Chiefs against the 49ers. And I got to ask you, what are you thinking about this one? Look, I like the Niners in this one. I think, one, I mean, obviously the marquee matchup in this one is the Chiefs offense against that 49er defense because both of those units are elite at what they do. So that's the one that everybody is talking about. But, I mean, I really think the key is what does Kyle Shanahan have up his sleeve? After He's been incredibly creative, especially with his run game throughout the playoffs. But now he's had two weeks to cook up something new. And I think that's where the game obviously is going to be won for the 49ers. And I know that people have sort of tried to make that connection between Jimmy Garoppolo and calling him, say, a Trent Dilfer type that really is a game manager. And I don't think that's fair. I think he's the guy that does what is asked of him. And in the past this season, when he's been asked to sort of carry the offense and to throw the football more, he's done a great job. I mean, that win against the Saints in New Orleans, which I think was maybe the seminal moment of the season for the 49ers, he had almost 400 passing yards. He had three or four touchdowns. I mean, he had a 400-yard game against the Cardinals when they really needed him to get something done. So he can go out and have big games if he is needed to. They just haven't asked him to do that. So I think defensively they can do enough to slow down Patrick Mahomes, just understanding that the Chiefs are, are going to score points. That's what they do. But I think defensively, they can do enough to kind of keep that offense in check. And I think their offense, the Niners offense, can do enough to kind of keep the Chiefs defense on their heels and they can score some points as well. Yeah, I'm torn as I analyze this game when I take the fan hat off and try and just think about it objectively. It's tough because I do think the 49ers D is probably the best in the league and they've shown it in the playoffs what they can do but Patrick Mahomes is just that player that you can do everything right and he'll escape and make something happen and are they going to be able to handle that when things break down and he just makes the scramble play and what he's shown in the playoffs is not just the ability to scramble and throw but the ability to scramble and run and get big plays out of it so that's the danger and I think Jimmy G He hasn't been asked to do much. I think the Chiefs are going to try and make him have to throw to beat them. And is he going to be up for it? I think the key for him is obviously just don't throw the ball to the other team. That's where he gets in trouble is sometimes he makes those mind-numbingly bad passes where you're just like, (laughs) what is, what are you thinking? What are you looking at there? And that's where you're like, oh God, bad Jimmy's here. What are we going to do? So if good Jimmy shows up, a guy who just doesn't turn the ball over. And like you said, when he's been asked to step up for the most part, he's been able to do it, but he just can't throw the ball to the other team. He just can't turn the ball over. And I think you can say that about NFL football, football in general, the team that doesn't turn the ball over has a better chance to win. And I think that's what we're going to have to see in this game is what defense can create turnovers and make those big plays and help their offense out. And listen, I would love it to see the 49ers get back to the top of the NFL mountain. And it would be huge to see Kyle Shanahan bounce back from 
that game as the Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator a couple years back where they legitimately should have just run the ball the entire second half and they probably would have won that game against the Patriots. Instead, they allowed Tom Brady to make a big comeback and get the Patriots a win. So yeah, I think it's going to be a really entertaining game. I think it's going to be fairly high scoring. So the Niners offense is going to have to probably bring some passing game to this one. Obviously, I think the Chiefs are going to try and dial in and stuff the Niners running attack and it's going to be, I think, a really entertaining game down in Miami. Oh, absolutely. I think this is going to be a really good game to watch. I don't expect either one of these teams to get out to a big lead. I think this is going to be back and forth pretty much all game long. But I know we sort of thought that last year and it turned out to kind of be a dud. But I think this one legitimately is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And of course, you can catch it on Fox on Sunday. Everyone knows Super Bowl Sunday, biggest day of the year. One thing I am kind of happy about is that I'm not hearing as much talk about the lame Super Bowl commercials this year. Like, that always <laughs> seems to be a big topic. And I, for like a decade now, they've been terrible for the most part. So enough with the Super Bowl commercials. Let's talk about the game. I'm glad that's really kind of happening. We got a good matchup. Let's watch this game and enjoy good football. And again, hopefully that's what we see. Last year, you mentioned it wasn't a good game, but hopefully this year it will be, and it'll be fun to watch, and that's what matters. I mean, listen, I like Super Bowl commercials as much as the next guy, but they've been so disappointing. Enough about that. Mm -hmm. I don't need to hear people talk about Super Bowl commercials. Let's talk about this game, and I think that's what people are focusing on, and that's great to see as well. So from your perspective, because you're the fantasy guy, what kind of stuff can you talk about fantasy-wise going into a Super Bowl? Well, there's still a lot of people playing daily fantasy, whether you know, it's DraftKings or what have you. A lot of people are still playing that. And so it is those matchups, right? It's kind of wondering. I think the biggest dilemma if you're playing daily fantasy this week is which tight end are you taking? Are you taking George Kittle? Are you taking Travis Kelsey? Because they are the top two tight ends in the fantasy game right now. And so I think it's sort of a bit of a preference. I'll tell you that this, to me, shapes up to be a really big George Kittle game just because the Chiefs secondary has been really good on the outside their defensive plan is to kind of funnel everything into the middle of the field and that's where they tend to give up yards well that also tends to be where George Kittle lives so I think if the Chiefs really do want to force Jimmy Garoppolo to beat them I think he will have plenty of opportunity to get the ball to his star tight end and see if he can win the game that way all right so there's a little fantasy knowledge from you I think KC focuses more on getting the ball to Travis Kelsey. I think like we saw in the NFC Championship game, if the Niners are just going to be able to run the ball, they don't care if they have to get the ball to George Kittle or not. So I think Travis Kelsey is always going to be guaranteed looks that maybe Kittle won't get if other things are working well within the 49ers offense. So it will be interesting to see what does work for both teams. And when you have two weeks to prepare and you have coaches like Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan who are known for diving deep into the details, I really think it's going to be a great matchup and fun to watch. And as a Niner fan, selfishly, I am hoping, of course, that the Niners come through with the victory. So again, if you enjoy listening to us here, you can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts and subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and tune in the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe podcasts on twitter find and follow me at nara wang sports n-a-r-a-w-e-n-g sports marcus once again where do they get you on twitter at marcus g m-a-r-c-a-s-g 
Thank you again, Marcus, for coming on for this show. Obviously, a kind of a different show than what we normally do here, but I really appreciate talking Kobe and the 49ers with you, in addition to, of course, the USC football. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. So for special guest Marcus Grant of NFL Media, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 22 of the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.